Hi, welcome to the summer 2022 edition of Disconnect, the outdoor education podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joël Charrière, and on today's episode, we'll be speaking with Colin Harris, a fellow, albeit former, Winnipegger, cross-Canada runner. Most importantly, Colin is the founder and executive director of Take Me Outside, a non-profit organization whose purpose is to work collaboratively with school boards, organizations, and individuals to get kids outside. Colin is also a PhD candidate in educational research at the University of Calgary. So, without any further wait, let's get this chat going. Enjoy. Welcome, Colin, to Outdoor EdCast. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Thanks. Now, Colin, I've got to say that while reading your book, um, I often felt like I was reading something I had written. Um, I'm a Winnipegger, former canoe guide. I ran track, had wicked shin splints. Um, (laughs) During this time of my life, I ate an ungodly amount of bagels with peanut butter and drank disturbing amounts of uh, chocolate milk. (laughs) <laughs> Grew up in a very religious family. I've traveled self-supported and self-propelled across the Canadian landscape. Not all of it. Not quite the same as you. Uh, I just felt like there were so many places in the book that I could really deeply relate to. Um, so it's just an observation. But anyhow, I think there's a glitch in the matrix and that you and I are actually the same person. Yeah, wouldn't that, that would be something. <laughs> it's It just kind of, like every time I flipped a page, I felt like I was like, whoa. This, this guy is, we, we are one. Uh, anyhow, enough of, of that. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about Take Me Outside a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about your adventure because uh, Colin was kind enough to send me a, a copy of his book. And uh, I read through it. And as I mentioned, it really uh, resonated with me. So I suggest uh, go grab yourself a copy. You know, if you're listening right now, go grab a copy. Um, but I want to talk to you about your run across Canada. So for those who don't know, I mean, we're not, we're not going to spoil the whole book for you here, but uh, we're going to try to give you a Coles Notes version of some of the ideas and topics. Colin uh, reached out to me at one point via email, which is always how I suggest people reach out to me. If, if you're, you've got neat projects, anything that you think should be featured on, on the podcast, please reach out to me by email. So Colin reached out to me a long time ago, actually long before episode 14 and before I kind of took a, a hiatus from everything that was going on here. Um, and I'm, I'm really thankful that he chose to be back on the show with me. I reached out to him when I was planning episode 14, the, the rebirth. Um, and so here I'm, I'm super pleased to have Colin with me. Now, Colin, give me the Coles Notes version of where the idea for your run across Canada came from and what its purpose was. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. And again, thanks for having me. I think, um, you know, it was twofold. I try to sort of tell two stories uh, and I'll I'll just tell them briefly here. One was watching the 1988 Olympics, which were based in Calgary. Um, The Olympic torch relay went across the country and I was living in Winnipeg at the time. We got let out of school to go up to Portage Avenue and we were given little mini Petro-Canada torches, and and we got to run alongside the torch bearer and have our little mini torches lit by the real torch. Um, friends got bored. They went back to school. I kept running with the torch bearer uh, to the west edge of the city and the perimeter highway. Um, and and that was sort of a, 
I didn't know it at the time. I was only in grade seven, uh, but it was a pivotal moment uh, for me just in terms of wanting to uh, try and do something that would that would um, help make a difference in the world. And I think at that point, uh, a seed was planted. And then the other story, which might be more familiar with a lot of Canadians, uh, is just sort of being inspired by Terry Fox. Um, his his story, I was a little bit too young to sort of really fully grasp uh, his run when he was actually doing it, his Marathon of Hope. Uh, but certainly, like many other Canadians, learned his story, have continued to learn parts of his story, and he became an inspiration over the years of of wanting not to not to duplicate what he did, but in some way try to emulate uh, what he did in in spirit uh, and in my own way. So those were the two sort of uh, catalysts that that sort of wanted made me want to run across Canada. Hmm. Now, you know. You touched on a couple things there that I, I feel like I'm going to jump forward. I had planned maybe for this question to come up a bit later, but it, it just kind of falls nicely here. I'm going to quote a part of your book here. Uh, so Colin writes in the book, it seems as though our relationship with the outdoors is ironically reflected most through social media these days. Going for a family hike, climbing a mountain, or simply going for a run around the neighborhood is no longer a standalone activity. They're often accompanied by numerous hashtags and filters that attempt to capture the beauty of the experience that surrounds us. The justification is that we hope to inspire others to get outside and find the same adventure, find the same beauty. I mean, your opinion is pretty clearly stated there, but you know, and I, I told you that I would throw you a couple curveballs. So here's the first one, but sure. uh, actually we'll, we'll get to it afterwards. First off, where do you think we're going in relation to um, our, our outdoor lives? You know, because because this book was written in what year? Uh, it was written in 2019. Well, it was published in, wait, it was published in last year, 2021. Yeah. Uh, written in sort of 20, well, it's been written for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and, and your uh, run, remind me, the year? Was in 2011. Okay. So we're talking yeah. 11 years ago. And these are yeah. kind of, you know, ruminations, I'm sure, that have been kind of pondered over for years and years has this changed for you? Is this, do you still see this? I mean, I, I think it's honestly more prevalent than ever. I, I yeah. think, uh, I think, you know, I would say 11 years ago, the conversation was more revolving around our physical health uh, and the sedentary lifestyles that we were leading, um, particularly kids. Although, you know, we tend to, I think in our circles, sometimes we talk about, the impacts on on children and youth, uh, not fully acknowledging that we adults are are part of the problem as well, and we we don't set a good example a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, eleven years ago, a lot of research was coming out about sort of well, and, and prior to that actually, uh, about the negative impacts that that. Um, too much time in front of screens and not enough time outside we're having on our physical bodies. And I would say that, you know, that in some ways is only getting worse uh, 11 years later in 2022. But then you have additional research that, that shows the negative impacts 
of too much screen time, uh, not only on our physical health, but on our mental health, on our emotional health, on our spiritual health. Um, and then you you have all this emerging research as well about all the positive impacts and benefits of time outside. Uh, and so I think it's, you know, I, I've been really cautious over the years uh, and with Timmy outside not to pit one against the other. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's it's not, not about being a Luddite and not embracing technology. There, there are, and I try to say that in the book, there are many amazing things about uh, the use of technology um, in various forms, but <clears throat> I think there's an imbalance uh, that is that still exists, and and that imbalance is is causing um, some some not so good things in in our lives, uh, both as adults and and as children. Mm -hmm. Now I, I'm gonna veer off a little bit here. That topic of you know not being Luddite and, and embracing technology and I, I love technology. I, I've I've used a lot of it. You know I'm I'm using a lot of it right now as we speak. I run kind of a makeshift home studio, so I, I record a lot of, of bands and it's other things coming in. So I I've got a lot of technology. I love it. I had this epiphany one time. Um, so pre COVID, our school we would uh, we would take kids actually to Canmore in the last week of June. So we would hop on a bus on a Friday night and then, you know, bus the 16 hours over to Canmore. We'd get, we'd stay at the, uh, the Alpine Club of Canada. We rent out the whole lodge and um, we do what every prairie person should never do is we peak bag five mountains in five days and we come back with super, super tired and sore legs. I think I tore a meniscus one year doing this, um, but the same thing happens every year, you know, so we'd be on, for example, Heart Mountain and the kids would be taking out their cell phones, taking pictures. And the last year that I, I did the trip, we actually uh, kind of started a website and we would upload photos daily so that parents could see the photos. And, and it was just like, the photos were awful. They don't even come close to capturing what you're experiencing when you're there. And so it was like this epiphany that I had. And we basically just told the kids, like, put your phone away. Because like after the first day, they look at their photos and be like, I thought it would be so much better than this. You know, they put their phone on panorama mode and they do the big sweep right. of, the, of the, the landscape. And then they come back and they look at it and they're like, I don't even know what this is. I can't tell what mountain this is. And it's like, right. It just take a mental picture. It'll serve you better than, than the snapshot on your phone. Anyhow, just kind of like this epiphany that I had during that trip, just how... You know, we all do it mindlessly and it just doesn't seem to serve a purpose really for most part. I mean, but then again, there are influencers who take phenomenal photos and who do motivate people, but to go full circle on this idea, cause I said, I would throw you a curveball. Now you mentioned that you wanted to emulate in a, in a way, Terry Fox's run. And this is where, uh, the social media thing comes in is that, you know, everybody's posting photos. Everybody's got the hashtags, everybody's doing whatnot. And at what point does it just stop motivating? And <laughs> I'm going to preface this because I have to say, I also did a self-propelled trip communicating with schools. My wife, fiance at the time, we biked across Eastern Canada. We were zooming in with, or it wasn't zoom at the time. I don't know what it was, but we were like Skyping into classrooms mm -hmm. and chatting with people, trying to promote uh, physical activity. It was so you know, I've been there, so you know where I'm coming from, but 
do trips like these end up falling under that same umbrella as the kind of like social media post of just trying to motivate? Are we not maybe just another person who's trying to motivate people, but at times, can it not come across as just drawing attention to our own adventures, much like I feel about influencers? So how do we, how do we manage that? You know, cause I just feel like I've, I've met so many cross country cyclists. I've never met a cross country runner. I will say you, you're the first, uh, right. when I was on my bike, I did cross a guy whose name was uh, appropriately, his name was Hiro. He was Japanese and he was walking across Canada, but I've never met okay. a cross country runner. So you're, you are an exception. Um, okay. but you know, does it fall on deaf ears? I mean, you ran, you, you cross the kids in the schools. It's you address it in the book, but does it fall on deaf ears? Uh, no, I mean, you know, when I went into 80 schools across the country, um, and chatted with approximately 20,000 students, uh, in doing so. And, you know, the vast majority of those students got it at that time. They, they agreed that too much time in front of screens, uh, was not a good thing for them. And that they knew that spending more time outside was a good thing. Uh, and, and so again, just trying to find that, that balance, I, I would say, I would say that with, you know, projects like the one you did of, of cycling and and chatting with schools about physical activity, chatting with students, um, what I did, it's, it wasn't at least for, from my end, it, it wasn't about me. Uh, I felt like a vehicle to the message, Mm -hmm. um, and that the message was more important than what I was doing. Uh, and, and to be honest, I feel like influencers say on Instagram, and again, this is a tough conversation. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I said, I would throw you a curveball. <laughs> but it's, you know, I think what is the motivation of an influencer, um, or trying, or people who are trying to be influencers, and it, it, I can't help when I see certain people on Instagram to feel like it's a little bit self-serving. I mean, yeah. in some ways, they're trying to uh, sort of cut out uh, a, a means to to make money, uh-huh. uh, to have more followers. Uh, you know, so it, it it's. I don't know. I think at some point there might be, there might be this desire to try and get other people outside, but certainly in the thick of it, it feels like what is the priority is having more followers Mm -hmm. so that you can get more product placements so that you can get more, you know, you can try to make a living from being an influencer. Yeah. And and again, maybe that's okay, but what is what is the why? And I think always coming back to the why of what you're doing, what we're all doing, is an important question to ask. Um, and one that, in my opinion, should focus around, and I know it's cliche, and I know it's it's uh, it, it's a bit cheesy as well, but the why should always revolve around trying to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I think trying to get students to connect with the outdoors, be it for myriad reasons, um, 
is is a worthy cause, especially in an age that we're in now, which is a digital age mm-hmm. where students are are spending hours upon hours every day in front of some sort of screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about climate change, when we talk about um, the state of the planet, you know there's a there's a strong feeling that that yes there you can turn to social media to an extent to to help advocate for those causes but i i think really at the root of trying to make uh a a difference with with some of these issues is developing a relationship with the outdoors and the only way you're going to do that is by spending time outside and it doesn't have to be what i did it doesn't have to be what you did uh it can simply be going for a walk it can be going to the park um you know that's the reality is much of this country is in urban centers Mm -hmm. and yet i think we're really fortunate to live um in a country that even within these urban cities there's so much green space to explore within so that's maybe a long-winded answer (laughs) well directly answer your question yeah but it's interesting i i i this was a topic that kept kind of bubbling in my mind as I was preparing for this because I just thought, you know, how how are we as, you know, doers of outdoor stuff? You know, if if you're the the guy or the girl or or the whoever who was at one point a guide and people look at you and they go, well, I don't even know where to start, you know, and, and it's like it's it's a huge gap sometimes. Uh, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head with the why, because I mean, so, so, I mean, it's pretty obvious, uh, reading the book or looking into Colin's organization, take me outside. Colin is now in Banff, Canada, um, which is, I'm sure like Instagram influencer central, right? People are always looking for the beautiful photos of Lake Louise or whatever else. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head is, you know, what's the purpose What's the why? I mean, you speak like a teacher. Are you a teacher? Did you do you have a bachelor's of education? I don't remember that from the book. Uh, no, I don't have a, a BEd. I okay. did teach uh, way back in the day, but uh, without the BEd. Yeah. Was, so, so you speak like a teacher. Um, but what is the why? And when I think about, you know, I, I've known people who have grown their Instagram profile to be influencers, and it's like, what is what is the why for them? It's getting there when nobody else is there. It's about getting the shot. You know, it's about going to places you're not supposed to go to. It's about treading on the, um, you know, the alpine meadow that you're not supposed to walk on just because there's a really neat lake on the other side, right? That's the why. That is not the why in, uh, you know, an adventure like yours at all. So, uh, you know, really fantastic um, kind of way to wrap our heads around that. Uh, and just also interesting to note that that is understood by children. I mean, you, you said you spoke with 20,000 students and yeah, that they I mean, understood you know, that your, your purpose was different. It was not about you. It was about them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, in the context of maybe more physical activity and, and sedentary lifestyles, but again, it's, it's relevant. Kids are, kids are smart. I think they're, you know, in 2022 and in the last several years, they're understanding the impact of social media that can have on their mental health, on their emotional health. Um, you look at the rates of depression, 
you look at the rates of suicide, there's emerging research that that just links, especially the rates of depression, um, the rates of low self-confidence, uh, et cetera, on, on this performative aspect of social media mm-hmm. and, and trying to keep up an image. Um, and I, I, again, I catch myself, it, it's, I think there's, I, don't get me wrong, I think Instagram is, has benefits. Um, I, I think, in my mind, I've always viewed something like Instagram as like a photo journal. It really has that potential to capture moments in your life and just, you know, I think when I was growing up and, you know, my generation, older generation sort of had <laughs> these photo books where you actually printed off photos and, and lots of people still do that. Um, but were I you, think were you Instagram part of the MySpace generation? Uh, <laughs> no, I missed that. I missed that. <laughs> but I think these photo, these photo journals, uh, have potential. I think it's the, the cure. It's, it's not just for you. I think that's yeah. it. it. It's not as though it, there's always this curated element to it, this performative element to it. There's this element of trying to come up with unique or funny, uh, hashtags, which I, I think yeah. I just feel old when I say this, but I, I not sure I understand. Um, why these hashtags have have sort of caught on the way that they that they have. Um, <laughs> anyways, I, I think you know the the reality is that you know talking later. I mean, Tammy outside does have a social media presence, and and so <laughs> it, it's you know it's this double edged sword, and I think it's constantly trying to evaluate how you're using it, why you're using it, um, and. Yeah, but I mean, I I think if you exam, I, I mean, I could go in so many different tangents, but you know, the fact that YouTube like cat videos are are one of the most viewed. I mean, it, it's it's entertainment, yeah. um, and it predominantly has always been sort of an entertainment platform. Um, all of social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the platforms weren't intended that way. Uh, and so it's, it's finding ways to, to use these different sort of digital medias in, in ways that are useful, in ways that are beneficial. Um, and, and yeah, it just feels like we're in this experimental phase where, you know, the technology is advancing so quickly mm-hmm. that it's, it's really trying to understand what is benefiting society and what is not um and do we really need you know do we really need to to see i don't know celebrities and what they're doing day to day the food they're eating Mm -hmm. um but again that's that's going down a rabbit hole yeah i I see a lot of these things in in my high school classroom right like my kids are, are recording tiktoks between classes before school whatever and that performative aspect is definitely, um, it, 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 it wears on them and they admit to that. Uh, I, I had the fortune of teaching uh, grade 11 and grade 12 phys ed this year and the new phys ed curriculum in Manitoba for grade 11 and 12 is much more based around health. So it's not like phys ed in the classroom where you're 
you know, doing stuff. It's basically classroom about health and learning how to manage your health, create workout programs, et cetera, all sorts of things. But there's a lot of discussion and a lot of uh, written responses. And it was really kind of eye-opening to me to see the impact on the students of, you know, kind of always feeling like they are always having to be on and that everybody, you know, it's, it's that kind of FOMO, right? It's like everybody else is doing cool stuff, but it's, it's all curated. Anyhow, that whole thing about the hashtags, I just had this flashback. If anybody here is listening and is a Canadian politics nerd, you might remember Jack Layton in the middle of a federal election debate referring to something as a hashtag fail. And it was just like the most epic moment of that debate. Anyways, I want to go back to what you said about the uh, the, the rates of depression and sadness and, and other things that we see that are statistically higher, perhaps, than we've seen in the past. And uh, this is a, a part of the book that really, um, I really enjoyed. I really, it, it caught on with me because I also saw and met people who were like this. So can you tell me about your encounter with Jean Béliveau? Not the hockey uh, player. <laughs> yeah, not the hockey player. No, I mean, I had learned about Jean Beliveau before I started this journey. Um, and uh, I'm not going to get his story right here. I'd have to look it up again. But basically, he had spent 11 years walking around the world um, and uh, trying to chat with people. And this is where I'm blanking uh, on his cause, um, and I feel bad about that. But but he was on his last leg of the journey from Vancouver back to his home in Montreal, um, and we crossed paths in the middle of nowhere in northern Ontario. If you've ever driven northern Ontario, uh, there are long stretches between towns, uh, and it's quite barren it's quite quiet um and so on the side of the trans canada highway our paths had crossed um i knew about him someone had told him about me and so we spent 20 25 minutes uh just telling stories and he he had a he had a little uh buggy that he carried with all of his stuff and he had a a picture book, uh, like a photo book, an actual mm-hmm. photo book, uh, on on top of the buggy, and he he started telling me stories. And I think what just struck me is how he had this infectious smile, he had this infectious energy. Um, and at that point in in my run, I was on my own. So my friend who had been helping me for five months went back to Halifax, uh, and from basically. Huntsville, Ontario to, to Thunder Bay, uh, I was on my own, which entailed, you know, running 40 to 50 kilometers and then trying to hitchhike back to the RV um, and doing this for the better part of five weeks and was really sort of feeling it was it was challenging. And so running into Jean Beliveau was a, a true lift in, in my spirits um, and and just a genuine kind individual uh and i think those are the individuals in this world who you know inspire us who make us better people uh and yeah i just feel fortunate for for having met him 
so of course listeners you can't see because this is an audio podcast but listening or watching Colin recount this and watching him reminisce there's a like a a satisfaction and a joy in his eyes as he's telling the story and you know this is something that I, I imagine I do the same thing when I when I tell people about my my trip and I never met anyone that I crossed paths with who was also traveling that I didn't think was genuinely a great person down to their core and their stories and their humility and their happiness and their gratitude that they expressed. And I mean, reading the, the pages of Jean Bidouvo really, you know, it, it, it hit right home for me because I, I just, I can't help but think that this guy's got it figured out for 11 years he just met people for 11 years. He just was. And, you know, I just think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and it's so ironic in that, you know, you would think that 11 years walking alone would make you sad and lonely, but it, it actually did the opposite, right? I mean, it looked like he was just happy and genuinely content. Whereas, social media that aims to connect us all together actually builds walls between us. Mm -hmm. It often can. And, and it's, um, you know, again, I, I think actually John Beliveau just reminded me a little bit of, I've just been watching the series on some downtime of, uh, of Ted Lasso. Um, and people sort of really rave about this show in terms of it being, a ray of sunshine, um, uh, uh, and and his character is is this genuinely happy person. And, and it's mm -hmm. not to say that Jean Beliveau maybe didn't have challenges or or times where he felt down. Um, but I think you're right. I think his ability to interact with others um, and to to just take joy in in conversing with others did give him a, a lot of energy. Um, so yeah, it's good. So I don't know if you can see it on your side, but I, it's telling me that I've got eight minutes left here. I'm going to turn off the recording. From, recording stopped. And because it shouldn't have a time limit for like one-on-one -on -one meetings. Anyhow. I typically, I think that's just like a precursor. My experience is that, they just let you keep going. Yeah, because but, I know that like like three people or more, there is a limit, but generally two people, it just lets you keep going. So anyhow, if it drops, um, try to rejoin the conversation. Like I'll send you a new link by email and we'll just connect back. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So, sorry, let me just get back to, I don't know what I did. What is going on? Oh, here we go. Okay, there we go. Um, so another thing that you touched on in your book that uh, really kind of was tying the whole thing together was your appreciation for the land, the Canadian land. And I think it's very fitting given that, you know, this is recorded on July 6th. Um, we just celebrated Canada Day. And uh, in the time of reconciliation, Canada Day this year, likely didn't look like previous Canada Days pre-COVID. 
Um, and in one part of the book, you even kind of talked about ideas that you had for perhaps a more reconciliatory Canada Day type of celebration. Do you mind elaborating on this topic? Yeah, I mean, it's evolving. Uh, I'm in my personal journey. I'm constantly learning more about this. Uh, I feel often as though it's, it's one step forward, one step back, Mm -hmm. maybe two steps forward, one step back. Um, but it's, it's, it's a journey of its own. Um, you know, I think what comes to mind, it's tough. I mean, I, I think we are in a time where celebrating Canada day is tough. Um, and, uh, there's a sense of wanting to acknowledge, uh, obviously indigenous peoples who, who were on this land for thousands of years, um, before confederation. Um, and so it's, it's a tough conversation. I, I think I'm doing some studies right now and in education and just heard a talk by Dr. Dwayne Donald. He's out of the University of Alberta, uh, an Indigenous scholar, and and he gave sort of this this visual of um, settler settlers and Indigenous people shaking hands. Um, but for a long time, we've been trying to take that in hand and and yank it our way Mm -hmm. um and he talks about the importance of there can be both there can be settlers and there can be this country and there can also be indigenous people uh and and their ways of knowing their knowledge their perspectives but it should be a balanced handshake um and not uh white settlers trying to sort of, you know, and that's historically what has happened is sort of pulling that hand, that arm, that body, our way Mm -hmm. to try and erase their stories. Um, And so we need to ensure that that those stories are being told, that they're telling those stories. Um, And and us as as settlers um, need to learn as much as we can we need to listen as much as we can um and so hopefully there's there's a time where we can celebrate both where we can you know i think it's encouraging to see that on june 21st uh, on indigenous people's day uh, that there are people across this country celebrating that day that there are events to go to, that there are um, ways to to learn more about Indigenous ways of knowing. Um, And, you know, although I said it's tough to sort of these days feel like you can celebrate Canada Day, I mean, I I think there's, again, it's a nuanced and, and difficult conversation, but, you know, the reality is that this country was almost part of the United States. Um, and so in, in that context, you know, I think a lot of people in this country would be thankful that Canada is a country. 
-hmm. that we live in a country where, um, you know, the list is endless. I mean, that we have a proper, that we have a good and healthy healthcare system, um, that women have rights to their bodies and what they do, uh, that, that it's not to say there's no gun violence in this country, but it's certainly not at the level uh, that exists in the US. I, there are a lot of ways in which um, this country has marked differences from the US. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important. Um, but I think coming back to, you know, we've got a lot of work to do uh, with TRC and and our work on reconciliation and i guess maybe coming back to your question i I really think the the commonality that we can find in in some of this work is the land um i i think i'm really trying to grapple with this idea of i mean this country when you talk about canada as a country it's politicized um and and yet the land itself, we have politicized it, but the land is just the land. And I think there's an opportunity for each of us, regardless of whether you're Indigenous, a settler, a new immigrant, a refugee, there's, a, there's an opportunity to connect with this land and to form a relationship with it. And I think if we can, if we can try to build that relationship with the land, and spend time outside uh, that that in some small way can help lead to reconciliation um, when we acknowledge the history uh, the culture of indigenous people and and understand you know the issues of the treaties uh, and the broken treaties that that have sort of put a put a put a stain um on on this country so again it's a, it's a complex issue um that is often i i find it tough to talk about as a as a white male uh, in this country um but i i really do believe that that spending time outside and connecting with this land um is is a way is a path forward yeah i mean we can all celebrate the land that we share for sure having run across the canadian landscape not only did you you know breathe the air from you know the salty east atlantic coast to uh, you know the uh the prairies and the dust and the, the heat coming off the highway and uh, you know you you all of your senses were engaged for the entirety of this canadian land um, so, so I'm, I'm guessing you became quite familiar with it. Um, and so if it was something that meant a lot to you before, I can imagine it only means more to you now than it ever has. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, these journeys that, that we take, um, you know, they unfold in, in different ways. And, and I think for me, again, it's, it's evolving. I think with any relationship, I think, I think sometimes give, sort of the parallel. I mean, it's, you know, for any healthy relationship, whether it's a sibling, your parent, your your partner, 
um, a friend. I mean, the only way that that relationship stays healthy is if you put time and effort into that relationship. Otherwise, it, it falls apart. And I think it's the same with our relationship with with the outdoors and with the land. Um, if if we're not, you know, I know we sometimes don't view it that way. There's, you know, historically there is, especially from a colonial perspective, there is this separation between human and nature. Um, and again, that, that's there are so many things to learn from indigenous perspectives and, and ways of knowing. Um, mm. And I think understanding that we are but one species um, sort of that is part of this ecosystem and and having that relationship, uh, like a positive relationship with, with the land is is fundamental to to well for so many things i mean selfishly it's fundamental to to our lives i mean it, it you know whether you want to use the example of the trees that that help us breathe um uh or or the water uh that we have on this planet um and you know somehow we've we've taken a wrong turn uh and and exploited these resources more than than we should again it's it's a tough conversation um but i think yeah i I think circling back to you know in order to address some of that these issues it it really sort of boils down to trying to have a healthy relationship with the land Mm -hmm. Uh, and and in in my mind the, the best way to do that is spending time with the land so, you know, something you said there just kind of lit a light bulb for me. Uh, a documentary for anybody listening, if you've never heard of it, please check it out. You can uh, watch it. I think it's a rental, but uh, I, I see it through our, our school account. At the National Film Board, it's called Hadwin's Judgment. It's about Grant Hadwin and uh, the cutting down of the uh, golden spruce, which was uh, very important to the Haida Gwaii people in uh, Haida Gwaii, British Columbia. Anyhow, really, really excellent documentary worth watching. And it really touches on this anthropocentric worldview that settlers typically um, tend to have. Uh, so anyways, if you've not watched it, please go check it out. Anyhow, we, we'll get to the take me outside thing right away. I just have one last quick question about your run. What was your biggest takeaway from your run across Canada? You know, retro, looking back on it now, 12 years later, 11 years later. Uh. I think there's two things. One, the personal one is that we're way more resilient than sometimes uh, we give ourselves credit for. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's merit in in continuing to to push yourself. Um, and sometimes beyond what you think you're capable of. Um, certainly the body physically is way more resilient than we, than we so often think it is. Um, you know, but the harder part of that run across the country over nine months was the mental side of things. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think when I face, when I face, certain challenges uh in life 
Um, I, I do sort of think back to running across the country and how difficult it was to wake up every morning um, and, and put my running shoes on and try to motivate myself to run 40 to 50 kilometers. Um, often feeling like I was making no progress of, of making my way across the country. Uh, organizationally, from a Taming Outside perspective, that, that I think this is an important, 11 years later, this is still an important issue to tackle. Um, I think, for, again, for the health of ourselves as human beings, uh, but also for the health of the health of the planet. And so it's, uh, it feels, I think my parents always, they taught me the word vocation. Um, and, you know, I think people talk about having jobs or careers, uh, but this idea of a vocation, something that, that you're really committed to, that you think is going to help change the world. Um, and that becomes part of who you are. And I think that work, the work that I do with Take Me Outside and, and the work that so many people I've met who work for other uh, organizations who are doing similar work um, or other individuals who are educators who are working on the front lines with students, this is important work of trying to connect students with the outdoors, with nature, um, and, and help build that healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. The word vocation, uh, also a word that came up in my family a lot, something that you're, you're called to doing, right? Whether right. that be spiritually yeah. or for any other reason, but sometimes that's you right. feel called to a purpose or to a cause. And that's true. And I think a lot of educators and a lot of people listening to this podcast would, would, you know, in the moment think like, right, why do I do this? It's not because I'm getting rich. It's not because it's not because I'm, you know, making a ton of money and it's glamorous, but yet there's just, you, you feel a calling to do it. And then it's, it's your, your purpose, right? So anyhow, Absolutely. the whole goal of the run really was to promote the idea, take me outside. It was an idea, I'm guessing at the time, it hadn't grown into the organization that it is now, but uh, Colin is the president and executive director. Is that it? Founder, sorry. Founder and executive director of um, Take Me Outside, an, an organization. Tell us about Take Me Outside because it really was the end goal of the run. I mean, one might say that the end goal was the West Coast, but the, the, the end goal really was much greater and longer lasting than that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think sometimes I feel like I dip my toe into the Pacific Ocean and that marked the end of one journey and then the journey of, of the nonprofit taking me outside was the start of another journey. Uh, and it has been a journey over the past 10 years or so. And, and I think, you know, it's really just been over the past few years that we've really been able to build a bit of capacity. Um, you know, these nonprofits require funding Take Me Outside does not have a lot of funding, um, but yet we're still able to, to have an impact. And I think really that work has sort of centered around that desire to, to work with educators across the country, 
and, and see if we can extend that learning environment beyond four walls and a desk. Um, and again, I, I find myself sort of maybe tiring of, of saying those words, and yet I still feel like it's, it's actually more important than ever. I feel, you know, I, I think quickly for me, my studies, you know, I'm really interested in these two diverging paths of, of education that have presented themselves throughout the pandemic. One is one that came to the forefront is virtual online learning. Um, and, and the other is outdoor learning that mm -hmm. came to the forefront. Um, and so what are the tensions between the two? Are there opportunities between the two? But when I look at the future of education, it's hard not to feel like we're going down this path where screen-based technology is becoming more and more prominent in a student's life every single day uh, and are we ensuring that there are moments for students where they're not in front of a screen are we ensuring there are moments where we are connecting students with the land where they're learning experientially where they're hands-on um, and that doesn't mean necessarily you know going somewhere far away from the school, doing a canoe trip, uh, going on a hiking trip. I mean, all of those things are incredible as a student experience, but, but the reality is, you know, funding is limited. Just simply taking those students outside of the four walls and a desk and into the schoolyard uh, has positive impacts. Um, you know, again, backed up by by research. And so I think the work that Timmy on side is trying to do is just open the door a crack to educators, administrators, um, people involved in education to to think about uh, that possibility of of students learning in a context outside of the classroom. And I think the power of place-based education is, is um, has many benefits. And, and I, I think it's, it's um, I guess the last thing I'd, I'd say on this is, is that, you know, technology has been sort of embedded into a student's day-to-day -day life. Um, if we're trying to find balance, I think the goal of Timmy on side ultimately is to have outdoor learning embedded into a student's day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, and and if I was getting a little bit provocative, I would say that the research uh, in in so many different ways supports a student's learning, a student's health. A student's well-being more so through outdoor learning than it does through the use of technology in the classroom. Again, I, it, I'm not trying to pit one against <laughs> the other. There's there's room for both um, and a balanced approach, but but that's the goal. I think organizationally is to really have outdoor learning baked into the education system. Mm -hmm. So, I always try to give my listeners and especially my educator listeners some tools or something that they can use 
Um, of course, they're all on summer holidays right now. But, you know, someone might get to this episode in late August and think, hey, well, what can Take Me Outside do for me? How, what sort of resources, if any, or what programs or what initiatives uh, does Take Me Outside do or offer or facilitate that uh, an educator might be able to access? If it's okay, I have a two-part answer. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one is one is we provide workshops for teachers uh, to help support them in in outdoor learning. We do that in partnership with the Outdoor Learning Store based in uh, British Columbia. And next year we're having a national conference on outdoor learning that will be held in Banff, Alberta, mm-hmm. um, in in May. And that focus will be on trying to provide teachers the resources. Um, our website has numerous resources. TakeMeOutside.ca is is the website, and there are numerous resources for teachers to help support them in outdoor learning. Um, but I think the part two answer to that is that I think we we sometimes default to thinking that resources are the primary answer to supporting teachers in going outside. Um, and, and certainly those resources are important. Um, at the same time, you know, one of my favorite educator authors has been um, Parker Palmer. He wrote a book called The Courage to Teach. And in it, and I, I, I think I convey this story in the book, one of my favorite quotes is, you teach who you are. And I think, you know, those resources around for outdoor learning can quickly get shelved if a teacher doesn't have a personal grounding um, and a personal connection to the outdoors themselves. And so I think the part two of that answer is teachers just really need to spend time outside themselves. They need to nurture that relationship with the outdoors for themselves. If they do that, that will inherently work its way into their pedagogical approaches as an educator, and that will have a trickle effect with their students. So I think it, it really is a combination of, yes, let's, let's get good resources into the hands of teachers, but let's make sure that those teachers feel strongly that it's important to go outside in their own lives. Mm-hmm. You just, you just, you just preached something there that I've been dying to hear. And I didn't know I was dying to hear it, but when you said it, I, it just clicked. Throwing resources at teachers is the worst, just the same way as forced fun is the worst kind of fun. On the very last day of school, I checked my mailbox and someone left me a book on scaffolded, scaffolding language development in immersion and dual language classrooms. And, you know, they think they're doing me a great favor. And the book is here on my desk. I may or may not read it. We'll leave it, at, we'll leave it at that. But it's true. I mean, how many times have I as a teacher had resources thrown at me and it's like, here, look, all the resources. You mean I have to sift through all of this and find the one nugget in like these 700 pages of reading? Not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, that really hit home for me. It's not about resources. However, I would say that I, um, 
I, I do like the idea of mentorship. And I think that's really important in this because ultimately, you know, to kind of go back on the whole conversation, uh, if, if technology is embedded in learning and written responses are embedded in learning, one thing that isn't embedded in learning is uh, indigenous, indigenous ways of knowing or other ways of knowing. And in outdoor education or in place-based education or in environmental education, there's so much room for other ways of knowing. Uh, but as you said, it begins with the person having a connection and knowing what it is that they're looking for and what is the why, what is the goal, what am I trying to get to here and does it have to be assessed, you know, with a written response? And if that's not the case, then, you know, you don't need resources, you need mentorship. And so please look up, take me outside, go see what kind of workshops you can offer through, which store was it again? The, uh, the Outdoor Learning Store in partnership with the Columbia Basin for Environmental Education Network. So please check that out. Uh, look into the conference, May 2023. Correct. In Banff. Uh, look into that. Don't know that I'm going to get there because I got four little ones at home and that is a lot to be like, honey, I'm going to go on a trip now. See you in a week. Um, so I don't know that that'll happen for me. But regardless, um, lots of, I'm not going to call them resources, lots of opportunities for you to connect with Take Me Outside and see what it is that you connect with. Uh, in relation to Take Me Outside and how they can help you. You'll decide that on your own, but please go check out takemeoutside.ca. Thank you very much, Colin, for chatting with us today. I really enjoyed your book, um, and I hope that my listeners go out and pick up a copy. It's called Take Me Outside, fitting. Uh, and I'm sure you can pick it up wherever you you pick up your books, right? All local booksellers should have it. That's right. Yeah. All local bookstores uh, across the country, as well as some of the bigger giants that sometimes we don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Colin. Have a great evening. Thanks, well, really appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoyed the talk with Colin Harris, founder and executive director of Take Me Outside. A lot of great things to kind of pick out from that talk, but most importantly, pick up a copy of his book. It is a really interesting read if you like kind of, uh, you know, autobiographical accounts of really interesting events. I mean, it was a pretty epic journey running across Canada. So um, give it a read and then go check out takemeoutside.ca and see what it is that maybe they can do for you. And if nothing else, maybe just kind of do a little bit of soul searching this summer. See what it is that you connect to. Get outside, get acquainted with your, your surroundings. Maybe you want to go explore around your school, see if there's a place nearby where you can bring your classroom, do something outside the four walls and a desk, right? So anyways, this concludes the summer 2022 edition. I am actively looking for new ideas for a fall edition. If you have anything, please reach out to me. It's a disconnect podcast at proton.me. I really look forward to hearing from you and have a great summer. I'm Joël Charrière, tuning out for another three months. See you again in the fall.